This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Maybe this will convince pregnant women to get vaccinated. New study shows moms can pass on some COVID antibodies to their newborns. Remember when the pandemic started, how hard Italy got hit? Well, cases are on the rise there again, and there are new lockdowns. You got a pair of those Mickey ears with your name on the back. Disneyland now has an official opening date. Is it safe to return to the happiest place on earth? You know, I actually had that when I was a kid. I, had I have that. mine still. Yeah. yeah. I still wear them. <laughs> it's a little weird, but you know. Hey. Uh, two airlines are launching in the U.S. in the middle of the pandemic when air travel is way down. We will learn more about the low-budget airlines that are hoping to take off. But first, let's start with the potential benefit of the coronavirus vaccines for pregnant women. Doctors in Israel have found that when pregnant women get COVID shots, their babies are born with ready-made COVID-fighting antibodies. The researchers believe that the find vindicates health officials' call to pregnant women to get vaccinated against the coronavirus. Dr. Sherry Ross, OBGYN, women's health expert at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica. So, doctor, seems to be good news, but um, any concerns new moms should have? It's a fantastic effect. I mean, the Israeli study just further supports uh, the findings that the vaccine is completely safe and reassuring for our pregnant and breastfeeding moms. So the questions we still have are what? I guess, number one, how much protection does does the little guy or little girl get? Yeah, well, again, because there weren't the original trials did not include pregnant women, women are confused. They want the reassurance. We're seeing new studies coming out week by week to support and reassure women that they can, in fact, get some uh, immunity, not just for themselves, but their baby. But, you know, I, I can hear uh, those who are anti-vaxxers uh, out there saying, well, wait a minute, this actually shows the opposite. This shows that somebody taking the vaccine, is it's being passed on, or some effect is being passed on to a newly born infant. And I can see those people saying, hey, is that such a good idea? Yeah, and I understand there's confusion, but... Sometimes when you're given the vaccine for any uh, illness that you could potentially have, that immunity that you pass on is just an added layer of protection. So I think it's a great finding, and there's just, in my opinion, further reassurance that it's a good thing. What have patients been saying to you about this? Well, patients are just confused. They, they want to know, is my baby going to be safe? Am I going to be safe? Uh, and, and listen, for those that do want to play it safe and wait, we just remind them to practice social distancing and do the right things and follow the CDC guidelines, you know, until they're uh, done with their pregnancy or feel more comfortable about getting it. But uh, on the other way of looking at it, right, uh, hasn't there been some early uh, results that show that just being pregnant can be a, in effect, a comorbidity for a more serious outcome with COVID. So getting a vaccine is actually a good thing, and especially if it goes on to the uh, to the child, uh, it's an added benefit. And, and that's exactly right. We know women who are pregnant, their immune response is a little bit uh, lower than, than non being not pregnant. So they're more at risk for severe, severe illnesses, complications, uh, and even death compared to the non-pregnant woman. Uh, so 
I, I agree. I think there's a level of, of security if you can get it just because of these reasons. Next steps are what? Do an actual study, especially, you know, if we're going to have to end up getting these every so often as boosters or if it's a yearly shot, then we definitely need to know because there's going to be women who are pregnant at the time. Exactly. And new new studies are coming, and, and not just from Israel, but they'll be coming from other countries. Uh, we are all learning together. We want to make sure we're giving the best advice to our pregnant patients and our nursing patients. Uh, and at this point, we do feel very confident uh, that it's safe in pregnancy and for breastfeeding moms. But we are all learning together, and we have to use this information to help educate um, all everyone. And you sort, of, you sort of, I think, touched on it before, but I want to underline the point, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, but it's not unusual at all, is it, for a pregnant woman to be given vaccinations for all sorts of things? Exactly. Uh, whooping cough is a great example. Uh, we give that, of course, the flu vaccine, we give that as well, because we know sometimes the, the effects of that illness can be much worse uh, than if you weren't vaccinated at all. So it's all about the benefits versus the risks. Dr. Sherry Ross, OBGYN, women's health expert, Providence St. John's in Santa Monica. Mainland Europe is getting hit hard again by the coronavirus. Cases going up, Italy entering a third lockdown. If you remember this time last year, Italy was in a really bad situation, especially in the northern part of the country. Towns were getting ravaged and hospitals were packed and overcrowded. From Milan, Italy, is Bloomberg reporter Marco Bertanke. Marco, the situation now is what? Uh, yeah, it's a big uh, déjà vu. Basically, Italy is in um, in the midst of the third wave, if you um, want to call it like that. Um, hopefully, at the end of a third wave, cases uh, have started to climb again about a month ago, um, and um, we had twenty-three thousand cases uh, today, and they're only up three percent from the same day last week meaning that the pace of uh, you know of um, of um, of surge is is diminishing if you want um just to give you a comparison we had 40,000 cases back in november and and testing uh, has surged as well um so at the same time patients in ICU uh, units in uh, intensive care units has started rising again. Unfortunately, there are, we have about 3,300 uh, uh, patients right now. That compares to about 4,000 at the peak last year in March. So we're still below that, um, but they're rising. And if you if you follow, you know, the numbers, ICU patients and deaths are lagging indicators compared to uh, cases. So cases climb. Two weeks later, ICU uh, numbers. Um, pick up and that's continue. So, so Marco, th- this would be logically a really good time to pump out those vaccines, except uh, the rollout rate in Europe, in Italy, not as good as the UK, not even now as good as the, the US. And on top of all of that, uh, one of the major vaccines available to people in Italy, the AstraZeneca one, is on pause. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we have we have managed to reach two thousand two hundred thousand uh, vaccinations per day uh, this week, and that dropped back to you know fewer than a hundred thousand. Now that um, the AstraZeneca vaccine has been stopped a couple of days ago, hopefully tomorrow the European Medical Agency will uh, order to resume 
uh, will allow the resume of vaccinations of AstraZeneca. Um, but um, what is important to understand is that uh, the majority of um, you know, the weak uh, population, so the over 80s, health workers, nursing homes, um, people, they've been vaccinated with um, uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. So AstraZeneca was really for teachers and police workers and then the rest of the population. So uh, if you want, I can give you uh, some um, uh, percentages. There have been 41% of over 80s uh, vaccinated in Italy and over 86% of nursing home patients. So maybe that's the reason why deaths haven't climbed to the levels of last year. So today, for instance, we had uh, about uh, uh, 300 uh, deaths, um, uh, 431 compared to 500 yesterday. And at the peak last year, we had about 1,000. So maybe, you know, vaccinating these uh, yeah, but it's still, uh, it's still, other people. It, it's still, yeah, but Marco, it's still astonishing yeah. if you think about it that that uh, and I know, I know you don't you don't mean to make to make it sound light, but that we're in a situation now where 400 or 450 whatever deaths is considered okay by comparison. Yes, and they're climbing. And climbing, as I said, as I said earlier, you know, it's a lagging indicator. You know, people that went to ICU a week ago, you know, hopefully will make it, though they might not make it, and we'll see the numbers climb next week. Is this being so, driven by by variants, or do they think more things were open yes. and there was just spread or combination of? The surge was driven mainly by what we call the the British variant that uh, in Britain was is called the Kent variant. Um, it's estimated that more than sixty percent of uh, cases now in Italy uh, belong to that variant. It's much more. Uh, it's easier to spread. It's not necessarily um, leading to higher deaths. Uh, but it's also spreading um, much easier among uh, young people. In fact, the average age of the infected has dropped to about 40 years old, how, uh, which how, is striking. How serious are, are lockdowns in Italy taken? I mean, here in the States, you know, depending on where you are, some people take it seriously, some don't. There's, as you, I'm, I'm sure, know, uh, resistance uh, to wearing masks. What's the situation like in Italy? Well, first of all, schools are closed, restaurants are closed, non-essential shops are closed, so just basically supermarkets are open. So there's that. Um, pretty much every everyone wears a mask except for uh, young people, maybe. And that's also one of the reasons why, you know, we've seen this surge in the infection uh, lately. Um, you know, schools, you know, schools, when they were open, they required masks. Uh, to be, uh, you know, for people to, you know, children to wear masks, but these these children would, I don't know, um, you know, meet each other um, after school for house parties, and you know, they wouldn't wear masks, so uh, it, defer- it sort of defies the purpose of. of uh, but uh, compared to last year, to the first lockdown um, in March last year, uh, we can say it's slightly and milder. Um, people are less. Word you can see a lot of people in the parks walking with a mask, obviously. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, in March last year, um, businesses were also closed. People were, you know, afraid to go out. You could only walk around the block, walk your dog, um, you know, in the proximity of your house, 200 meters from your house. 
Whereas now it's, you know, you're allowed to kind of walk around um, more freely and the patrolling is less intense. I haven't seen a police car today uh, going around um, at all. Whereas in March you get stopped and, and fined, uh, you know, as, as much as a thousand euros just for, uh, I don't know, walking your dog uh, uh, two miles from your home, for instance. And does that make it easier for people to, to stomach that it's not as tight? You're not going to get a ticket for, for going too far? Um, yes, um, I guess so. And people have got accustomed after a year. We've been on and off lockdowns, you know, over the year. In Christmas, we had a sort of hard lockdown during festivities. Then it was relaxed again. And now most of the country is in a so-called red zone. So, uh, you know, higher restrictions. Um, but uh, people kind of feel it's just temporary these two weeks to bring infections down and then hopefully vaccinations will pick up again because one of the, you know, primary Draghi's uh, goals is to triple vaccinations to uh, 500,000 uh, per day um, in the next uh, three weeks, uh, a month. Um, also because there'll be more... Uh, uh, deliveries of uh, vaccines, uh, especially Pfizer and, uh, and Moderna, and uh, and despite this uh, AstraZeneca setback, you know, uh, from April we'll have more availability. And uh, um, if you want a, a plan for a mass vaccination in uh, um, exhibition centres, um, drive-through um, sites, whereas now it's pretty much confined to hospitals and uh, nursing homes. Yeah, yeah, you do the stuff we're used to here, like uh, Dodger Stadium. From Milan, Bloomberg reporter Marco Bertanke. Marco, thanks. Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure opening up on April 30th. It was just about a year ago. They closed because of the, well, you know, pandemic. There will be changes, though. Social distancing, masks required. When they open those gates to Main Street, you're going to go get a churro, hook a right to Space Mountain. That's my usual path. <laughs> how safe is it going to be? Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. Doctor, how do we feel about amusement parks? I think we're feeling pretty decently right now, uh, Mike, and thanks for having me on, Mike and Charles. Um, I think o the Orange County, for example, OC, where it, this is going to take place, went from about 118 cases for 100,000 in middle of January to now four per 100,000. Uh, it's limited to Californians. Um, there's going to be the usual mask and social distancing that people know about, a new reservation system. But to me, most importantly, there are going to be uh, testing strategies for the workers. They're being increasingly vaccinated. So, um, you know, if ever a time there's a time to open, it's this time. Yeah, but they're also saying, I think, that you're not supposed to on any rides in California, you're not you're not supposed to like scream or yell or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I was I was wondering when you'd get to that. Charles. <laughs> that was one of my favorite uh, things that I read about, which is the screaming mitigation procedures. Uh, which you know, I I think it's going to be hard to really um, tell somebody they can't scream on space mountain or to scream more softly or to scream behind your mask. At least people are in the 
facing in the same direction. So don't swivel your head around and scream, I guess, is the recommendation. <laughs> don't scream into someone. Yeah. Uh, well, they tried this in Japan. That's what they said. And there was this video of a whole bunch of, like, stoic-looking people on a roller coaster trying to go <laughs> yeah. around. And it was like, this is not happening. I'm sorry. I'm here to have some fun. Yeah. So, wait. So, w- would you go to Disneyland? Um. Uh, be be a, honest. Be honest. Would you go? Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't go yet. I mean, I'd probably make sure that the numbers is being sustained. I'm a worried, a little bit worried about spring break, but but right now, if it stays like this, yeah, I'll have no problem going. Uh, I probably won't. You know, they're not going to have indoor uh, dining available, so I think outdoors in the OC Anaheim, um, I think uh, some nice alfresco dining. They're not having parades, so I'll miss that part of it. But uh, if you want to get your uh, fixing for Disneyland and try to erase that year of darkness. Um, you know, this is the time. Well, I guess you know if they're they're doing the capacity limits, there's going to be so fewer people than than what you're used to. I mean, you just you walk through some of the pathways right. there, and it's like shoulder to shoulder in the old times. But yeah. now, if there's few, way fewer people in the park, well, you're not going to yeah. come into contact with a whole bunch of people because you're going to be with your little group waiting in line, hopefully spaced up enough from the next guy. But isn't it kind of creepy walking down like a barely empty you know <laughs> street with a guy dressed as a mouse? <laughs> I I know exactly. They they also mentioned the aspect that characters would be. Uh, appearing randomly and in surprise, you know, surprisingly. Uh, so that will be kind of interesting to see how that would happen. Um, and and some of my friends quipped, you know, exactly what you guys said that uh, if there's any a time to, ever a time to go to Disneyland, go now when it's so mandated to be 15% capacity because you never get yeah. into those rides. You're never going to see it again. Uh, Doctor yeah. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist, UC San Francisco. Will they wear masks? The the like like make like. Mickey, you know they can give him one? You know, I'll tell you, I I might go, but the first time Mickey coughs, I'm out of there. (laughs) Good business move or a decision destined for bankruptcy. Two airlines launching in the U.S. in the middle of the pandemic. Plus, hooray for procrastinators. You'll have more time to do your taxes this year. You're listening to Coronavirus Daily on Radio.com. The airline industry took a beating in 2020. Countries closed their borders and... Many people didn't want to take the chance of flying and getting sick with COVID, but it is starting to bounce back, even with more people flying again. Is it a smart business move to start up a whole new airline right now in the middle of a pandemic? Well, it's happening. Two low-fare airlines set to fly out soon. Breeze Airways, Avalo Airlines. With us, Joe Brancatelli, business travel and airline industry analyst. He's the founder and editor of the business traveler advisory site, JoeSentMe.com. So, Joe, they must have a theory as to how this is going to work. What is it? Uh, I never guess on what airlines think their theories are because they never turn out to be true in real life. (laughs) Um, But both of those two and an international uh, sort of revived Norwegian airlines uh, are all hoping to fill a, essentially a low fare niche that the other major carriers are not fulfilling at the moment. But of course, they're they're not fulfilling so much at the moment. It looks like there's a lot of places you could fly from. Well, first of all, I mean, I don't know, Breeze Airways. It sounds like a like a room freshener to me, Breeze. <laughs> But it does. Uh, but if we look at them for a minute, uh, when you talk about sort of filling a, 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 a niche, what is the niche they're really filling? I mean, we already have some so-called low-cost airlines. We've had them in the past. Some have been successful. 
Some have not. So, so what is it that they're really filling? Is it that they're going to places that other airlines are no longer going to? Well, I would uh, on the name. Keep in mind that the man who's behind Breeze is David Nealman, uh, who also created JetBlue. And what does JetBlue mean? It means nothing. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so true. you might as well be Breeze. Um, and that's the strength of Breeze, frankly, right now is the fact that David Nealman, who founded JetBlue, who is in on the founding of WestJet in Canada, created Azul in Brazil. Now, one of Brazil's largest airlines turned around Tap Air Portugal. This, if, if there is such a thing as magic in the airline business, Charles, he's got it. So that's the pedigree. He seems to want to fly to cities that other airlines don't want to fly to, and he wants to fly them on a nonstop basis. The problem with that is it, you will have to fill up a lot of seats between two destinations that people have not flown before. So we will have to see what the interest will be in 2021. He'll probably be started in the first half of the year. Yeah, I guess they're banking on a lot of people wanting to go some spots. We've seen some other moves from some of the other low-cost carriers that exist already, right? Taking routes that some of the big guys left as like a pre-positioning for, because they all expect a surge in travel this this summer or this fall or, or even into to next year, because we're itching to go places. And absolutely. But we're still at, remember, as of today, we're still at around 40% of the volume of travelers that we were at in 2019, no one expects to reach the 2019 numbers again until 2024, because the most important component of travel, business travel, which is the most profitable, will be the last to come back. And I, I must make note of the fact that if you go up the coast, um, a, a long-established airline, an airline everybody loves, Alaska Airlines, has basically pulled out of the Oakland-Hawaii market. And they were serving four or five destinations out of Oakland. And they realized, well, we can't fly Oakland, San Francisco, and San Jose. So the question is, how many airports can one market handle? And that brings you to Avalo, which hopes to make a stand in Burbank. I, I have a, a, a probably a naive business question. How do you actually start an airline? Well, you get a lot of people like Charles Feldman who are licensed pilots. <laughs> yes. You buy some airplanes, and then you go through an insane amount of government paperwork to prove that you're fit and capable to fly. And then the marketing starts. The airline business is incredibly complicated. And, and Charles, as a pilot, you know that flying a plane is no easy task. And in some ways, that's the easiest part of starting an airline, is getting people who can fly planes. Everything else is very difficult, very expensive. And to quote an oft-quoted uh, line from someone who did start an airline, how do you make a million dollars in the airline business? You start with a billion. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. Um, before we let you go, in terms of what you said, you know, you got to market this thing. Are they going to have a trouble? Are they going to have trouble? Because you know, low fare airlines they have a decidedly kind of cramped feel or budget feel, and that comes with the territory. But the the last thing I want to be after a pandemic is is cramped. True, Mike. But have you been on another airline lately? <laughs> It's you're very hard pressed to tell yes. the difference. It is days. only Delta with the middle seats now free, right? Exactly. But even once we get back to and Delta will start filling the middle seats soon. But, you know, in coach on the big airlines, the airlines we know, you know, United American Southwest Delta, it's 30 inches. 
you're not getting treated any more poorly on the discount carriers these days. The advantage of the big guys is often frequency and a frequent flyer program, not so much in-flight comfort. So I'm not sure that that's going to prove to be a difficulty in the in the months ahead. Well, there you go. Let's start an airline. Okay, and then we can fly to that place in uh, Iowa. Oh, yes. You want to go to Brit. Yeah, Brit, Iowa. Yes, if, if Charles has disappeared from the program, he's he's off uh, flying for these two, or he's moved to Brit. Because they're offering ten grand. That's right. Not enough to start an airline, but, you know, it's a start. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be left with a thousand. Uh, Joe Brancatelli, <laughs> joesentme.com. It looks like the IRS will once again give Americans extra time to file their taxes as a result of the pandemic. The deadline is likely to be extended by one month. According to a statement from House Ways and Means Committee, the new date is May 17th. But it's not all about giving Americans a break following a hectic year. Blame it on a massive backlog the IRS has been dealing with. There are some 24 million tax filings that the agency is yet to process from the 2019 tax year. Just a few stacks of papers. Yeah. Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We are there. I bet you they'll be glad when they get it down to like 20 million. <laughs> An easy 20 million. Yeah.